0: Today's for our podcast. Today we got a talented. Um, I don't even know how to. I, I feel like the word that's coming to mind is. Ill, no, I'm gonna say it wrong.
1: Illegal. No.
0: <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> she went there. Um, no, eclectic, I you were eclectic it. is the word that I was looking at. So eclectic being that there's multiple facets to you. There's, uh, I, I feel like from what I've seen and what you've pro- mm. um, promoted out there, I feel like there's levels to you, there's complexity, there's intelligence. But at the same time, there's just flow. Like, and I'm like, I feel like that's my projection over you. And that's my prophecy if, uh, if, of sorts. I'll, receive <laughs> but I'll, <it>. let, <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you introduce yourself as well as your pronouns.
2: Oh ora, well thank you, uh, fuck you conversationalists, yes. it's a real <laughs> honour and privilege to be on your podcast and um, I'm Dujon Cullingford, he, him, born and raised in Hamilton in the little Housing New Zealand projects inside St Andrews, which we call the Te Rapa to make it sound more Māori and cultural. But it is probably just St. Andrews. Wait, um, did you go to St. Andrews Intermediate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I lived across the road. You
0: proper. You proper. Yeah, you proper.
2: Uh, good, 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 good growing up. And I mean, born and raised to, to parents who are both from England, uh, Jamaican, European, and uh, grew up with lots of sort of Māori and Pacifica friends. Um, mm. So it was a really cool upbringing. Yeah, but now I'm I'm old with kids, <laughs> be married over 10 years, and I uh, just work across the road. Wait, the I did council. not
0: know you were saying, wait, 10 years?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm um, um, yeah. not that old.
0: Yeah, Not obviously, but I didn't know that you were married for the 10 years. I yeah, feel like, yeah, wait, yeah. so you
2: you got married young, right? Oh, maybe 22, which mm. is probably not that young, really, for a religious person. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, true.
2: Like, yeah. <laughs> You're right, you're right. When you've been choosing the highway of abstinence, 22 Whoa. is way overdue. True, true. Yes. <laughs> True. <laughs>
0: wow, you chose that life as well.
2: Hey, the, I think that life chose me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone in their right mind would choose their life.
0: <laughs> facts, mm. facts, facts. Anyways. Mm-hmm. All right, communities? So um,
1: the whole like, kind of basis of this is we wanted to explore communities or community that you kind of involved yourself, willingly or not, um, <laughs> with throughout your life. Um, And when we talk about community and communities, we're talking about an example that we often use is the Pacifica community. So Mm. society often tells us that that is just one community. Mm. But within that, there are various communities that have various nuances between them. But often in a white Western Aotearoa society, we are told, oh, no, 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 that's just one Pacifica community. Mm. Disregarding those nuances between them. So we're curious, Dujan, what kind of community or communities have you been involved with throughout your life? And mm-hmm. it can come from, you know, childhood, now, whenever. It's mm. totally your choice. Prior
0: to you as well? I mean, I feel like everything's kind of interconnected. So even yeah. prior to you, if, if, if you feel like that adds value to your story. Yeah, oh.
2: definitely. Um, well, when I think of communities, um, I can think of lots of different communities i've belonged to um Mm. probably adopted into some of those communities or uh, you know found out about something haphazardly or mistakenly tripped into something Mm. and that became a rabbit hole to something new uh so i mean apart from growing up and belonging to a a quite a cool tight knit hood in the saint Andrews area which i think was the best community um the community that i fell into when i was about 12 years old was the hip-hop community but at that time, uh, 20 years ago, which, it, uh, yeah, that seems like a long time ago, but it was like a different generation of hip-hop. And and when we say hip-hop, it sort of speaks to this uh, cultural phenomenon uh, where there were, like, graffiti artists, mm. uh, MCs, DJs, dancers, and we all used to sort of hang and, and practice mm. and compete. And there was just this culture that went with it where we uh, sort of had this interchange of skills and, and, and all that sort of thing. So... Yeah, hip hop was my first community that I guess that I belong to, and I still carry that and still very active in that community. And I think without hip hop community, I I just wouldn't be where I am at all. Like, I've met my my wife in a dance class. Um, Shout out to her. Yeah, I don't think I would have half the, you know, the skills that I have in my workplace if it wasn't for in the arts first, Mm. you know, Mm. uh, having those experiences. Yeah. Yeah. that's that's the main community. Uh, uh, at the moment, I'm obviously part of a working community that seeks to support the community. So that's uh, community development. But you can't really do community development if you don't understand what community is. First, it's um, wait. Can you just repeat that again? I feel like just for the people on the back, say it one more time. Rewind the selector. Yeah, yeah,
0: please. Yeah,
2: yeah. I'm saying you can't work in community without understanding what community is. On all levels, you know, there's mm. there's studying something, but then there's experientially, mm. you know, going through something. Whoa. And then you, yeah, I don't think you can approach a community without actually knowing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah.
1: like, what does community mean to you then? Like, when we talk about community and, like, what you've said, like, you can't work in it if you haven't been in it or understand it. What's your understanding of community?
2: Well, there are communities, you know, whether they be um, – around ethnicity or, like, a subculture or a hobby group mm. or, or that sort of thing. But then I also think there's the community at large, which is this overall community that holds all the other little communities within it. Mm. You know, so you could be talking about, like, like a suburb or an actual place, a physical, tangible place. And I'm, I'm interested in both concepts of community, but the latter is quite interesting because to be able to work in a community, you have to be able to somehow – um, look at all these different communities and find commonalities and things that would bring them together, which is not an uh, easy task. Nah, that's nah, you know? not. So you've got to have this transcending look, outlook on what um, brings community together. But I think one of the main things that that makes community tick is um, just having the safety to be yourself. A lot of people talk about cultural competency, but um, cultural competency only really says you can feel competent to do your culture it doesn't mean you're safe <laughs> we're mm. a long way from cultural safety where you can be yourself your loud self or introverted self and not attract any judgment yeah from other people but yeah i think that's one big part of community um amongst many others
1: <laughs> yeah no i totally identify with that uh, there's a couple of communities that I'm involved with where there is a lot of judgment, mm. and I think that like queer community is one of the communities that I can identify with, and where I have seen firsthand that that is a community within the wider society that does attack from within itself. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, the gays over there, the lesbians over there, and everyone else can just like fuck off mm. pretty much. So that's yeah, it's really interesting that you bring up safety because. I think sometimes people just take for granted their community and don't feel safe. But then they're like, oh, but I have to identify with that because I don't identify with the other. Yes. So, yeah, I think it's really hard.
2: It's hard to navigate and constantly push levers and pull Mm. knobs. And, you know, just navigating in general is is tiresome. Mm -hmm. And then on top of defending (laughs) or reiterating or explaining or breaking down things, you know, you've got all these other layers before you can just chill out and be yourself. Yeah, And that's, yeah, that's a difficult part about probably living in a, um, a very conservative society that passes a lot of judgment, you know. Yep. And I feel like also, like, the opposite of that as well is also a community of
0: rebellions. Like, people who don't want to belong to a community. And I, I feel like I just came to this um, understanding as well, is that... Because you don't want to belong to a community, you also form an unofficial community of not belonging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that not belonging group is getting bigger.
2: Yeah. And I actually really like that group. Um, I mean, that can be positive or negative. But like I know, for example, just growing up in the hood, didn't really feel like I belonged in a lot of places and especially having parents that are, you know, uh, interracial, you already get looked at sideways. And they also, you know, immigrated here. Um, and being pōhara on top of all that and, you know, living in in, uh, in the hood. So, yeah, I think w- that's what drew me into hip-hop when I saw a bunch of misfits getting together around a common cause, which was dance. It was like, yeah, I, c- I can get down with that. And um, at the time, they probably mocked me, but I didn't hear it. So I just, you know, thought, oh, okay, I'm doing it right. I can mm-hmm. I can hang with these people, even though they're a couple of years older, the bigger kids in the intermediate school. Um, they sort of let me hang out with them and dance with them. And, and yeah. Those misfit cultures are then sometimes morph into something bigger and better, anyways. You know, mm. all music styles started their way where they sort of peeled off a, a mainstream branch, done their own thing, and it was like frowned upon. And then all of a sudden, 10 years later, it was the big genre on the mainstream charts or whatever. It's quite interesting.
0: Wait, mm. so do you reckon that that's pa- that pattern has happened all through society and now we just have different vehicles of accessing that?
2: Man, yeah, I'm not sure, but that sounds good. Mm.
0: <laughs> No, for real, because I'm like if you if you think about society, I feel like even languages and communication has nuanced to a point where it's like now like Kelsey and Joe can make a podcast. Like you know, like so I'm like I feel like that copy and paste is like kind of like the current recipe that everyone's kind of following. Mm, And like we just don't know it.
2: Yeah, well I can only speak of music and dance, but I know for example most dance styles have come from someone who's feeling oppressed. But out of the Great Depression came this crazy expression of, you know, freedom and and maybe it coincided with a new dance uh, or like a music style coming out or whatever. But mm. pretty much any of the street dance styles have come out of something that's not so nice in a, a cultural, mm. political expression. And, and even the same with music. You know, punk came from this anarchy, you know, rebelling against the, the government, anti-authority sort of thing. Um, you know, rock and roll was seen the same way you know when it started <laughs> blues jazz you know all these music styles mm. probably weren't appreciated when they when they're in the formative stages but yeah
0: no yeah pressure creates diamonds so ooh,
2: there it is the, Rain, of, the right? of the hour
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: ooh. the diamonds right here though the
0: gym wait. and the diamonds right here though mm. all right wait so tell us tell us more about um so y- going into hip-hop like did it matter what 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 hip hop was already looking like, and what because because could you see representation of people like you, in hip hop at the moment at, at that time when you jumped oh, in?
2: So so the funny thing was back then. It, so it was the year two thousand. I'm twelve years old, and I'm in the bilingual class too. So mm. I'm already the, the you know the token white boy in the on the Maori class, which I really enjoyed. I always wanted to learn more about Te Maori, and I was really lucky to be in that class. But yeah, it was that year where I um accompanied my dad to a band practice. He's a drummer. And he was helping out with this sort of youth ministry sort of thing. He was just filling in drumming. I went along with him on a Saturday over in Crawshaw mm. in the hood. And then after that, uh, I don't know what we we're doing. I was just hanging out with my, with my dad, you know. Uh We went over to Corshaw School, the primary school hall. Mm. And, and there was just... Dancers all over the place. and i uh, The only reference or bearing I had for this is watching Beat Street, the movie that came out in uh, 1984, you know, where it's all about breaking <laughs> yeah, and yeah. hip-hop. Uh, and my dad had taped that on TV. So when I saw it in real life, I was like, whoa, you giving us
1: all types of free ba- <laughs> Yeah,
2: VHS. <laughs> yeah, literally, yeah. But at that time, yeah, it was uh, interesting. Hip-hop in New Zealand, well, at least for me, it was like Maori, Pacifica, uh, a couple of white people, And maybe some randoms in there. But, like, now it's completely different. It's diverse. Mm. But at the time... No, in Hamilton, it was mainly Māori. And it was mainly, like, several whānau all related to each other that were doing it, you know? So, yeah, it was an interesting mix. But it was the best. Mm. It was the best, yeah.
0: (laughs) So, like, I guess the hearing the music and moving the moving to the beat and like being a part of that culture wasn't based on actual color but based on how you could keep up with the yeah. beat or something like that
2: definitely yeah people were were really friendly mm. you know you come in there and you obviously weren't really Part of their culture because you couldn't move that way yet, or you were dressed um, square or whatever. So, yeah, people would come over to you and say, Hey, I'll teach you some moves. You know, it's, it's not like we had to sign up for a class and pay $20 for a, mm. a term or that sort of thing. It was, was uninstitutional. Like yeah. yeah. Someone just put a tape on, uh, you know, let it run through and change it over, and throw out some mats on the ground, and people would just practice and, and have their own clusters of conversations throughout the hall. Mm. You know, so you just jump into one. It was just the best experience of culture to have at that age. Yeah. You probably wouldn't recognize it, but you just sort of slip into this river and you just all of a sudden downstream, you know, hanging out with people, laughing, learning moves. And and a few months later, you've actually learned 50 moves (laughs) and you're competing all of a sudden and whoa, you know, it's just a really uh, moving transformational culture. You know, you never sign up for anything. You just, you're just learning. It's a bit like Kung Fu, you know, Uh, you know, you get a master and you're under them all of a sudden and, you're you fighting someone that you don't know of, but you know that they're mean, so you need to beat them. And mm. yeah, it's really cool, really beautiful.
1: <laughs> and that it seems like from what you've said and from what I've observed, because I dabbled in that for a little
0: while. Oh, um. tell us. Do we
2: want to go there? <laughs> no. Oh. Um. Break out the Bebo archives.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! No. <laughs> um. No, I was with Fusion Dance Company for
2: Ooh. a little while. Wow. Cool years. fusion. Yeah, they um, were the,
0: they were the top.
1: Yeah. So I wasn't in like
0: Just um just to disclaimer I didn't make the X squad.
2: Oh. Were you in the social leagues of uh, Fusion Dance Company?
1: Um <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I think fusion was kind of the first from what I observed cuz one of the first ways that hip hop was kind of being commercialized. Mm. And it seems like now hip hop is is taught alongside like jazz and ballet and like all these other things that like what I perceive to be middle, upper-class white dance companies mm. um, who are there for competition purposes. Yeah. What's your opinion of, like, the development of that space and the commercialisation of hip-hop?
2: Oh, it's a point of tension and um, backwards and forwards between lots of us dancers. Mm. And um. So, so long story short, when I – so I was into – well, people call it breakdancing, I call it break-in – which is the, the original dance form of, of hip-hop culture. But after a few years of doing it, we, I got into a crew with a whole bunch of people from Hamilton, but our crew was based in Wellington area, and then we started to win. And I've, I won a bunch of the national mm. um, one-on-one titles here. So, um, and we were a really cool crew, a lot of camaraderie, but at the same time, I think we developed you know, a sense of piety, of a little bit of elitism, and we were the Pharisees amongst our little scene for a while. Mm. Um, and at that point, that was the point where we were like, Yeah, this is the hip hop dance. Anything else is not real hip hop. You know, we were really um, the Bible bashers of our dance scene for a while, but after a few more years, after maturing and you just learn a bit more about life, um, I realized, man, we've really been on the wrong trajectory the whole time. There's all these people that are just wanting to dance. What? Yeah. What was
0: that realization like?
2: Well, it was a game changer and a half. So basically what happened over here in Hamilton, um, Palace had come down to Hamilton Mm. and they had created a a studio. And I said to some of my peeps, hey, let's take our dance form for free over there, you know, just so we can show that we are honouring their dancing, uh, their dance style, and that we come in peace, you know. I mean, it sounds random, but lots of dance styles have beef because for, Mm. for whatever reason. So, yeah, that was the start of the journey. Then I, I happened to win a national comp here and compete in Sydney. And after our battles were done and like, I got roasted, um, there was an, another event and it was called an All-Star Battle. And that's literally a battle that pulls on all styles of dancing, which, of course, for little while, me was like, what? How can you bring everyone together with such freedom under the one roof, you know, at the same mm. time? And that's Is when, that like um, the mixed
0: martial arts of like... <laughs> honest.
2: The UFC of dance. Yard. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> and, and the thing, the way they are done it in Sydney was like, okay, we have four teams, but all the main dance studios are represented through all the teams. So there might mm. be eight people from eight different studios. And the DJ mm. would play, oh, no, they might just chuck on some 90s R&B, and, and you don't know what you're going to get. You just have to dance. And you got to bond with your teammates and cross over that chasm between dance styles and merge and do routines. And anyways, so from that point on, yeah, just... My mind flipped around how to view uh, not only my discipline that I come from as dancing, but um, all disciplines as together and, and what are the common threads that link us all together, yeah. Mm. Quite interesting.
0: No, it is. But nudie, mm. but... No, it's like, I find that stuff so interesting, only because to me it makes... <laughs> so I, I, I describe it like, like, like singers harmonising. Mm. So to me, like... It's These are humans that have put effort, energy and time into harmonizing. And I'm like, that could go for communities, that could go for um, churches, that could go for organizations and institutes. Like to me, when I see like disciplines evolving like that and like and collaborating and uniting and producing this massive Mm. different artwork, I'm like, that's love. Yes. That to me is human love. That's like Mm. you've dedicated like to perform at a certain space like in the now and yeah. i'm like we will we're only gifted the now so like everything that i've said is going to be in the past and i'm like i get so like i don't know i, I i'm probably op- always operating in philosophical lands but like to me that's the juice of why i exist like mm. i need like that needs to happen in yeah. my existence like and or at least i have to be a part of making that come alive
2: yes yeah I just, yeah, I think that's the essence I agree with um, of community. Looking for intersections, um, and I just I feel like the more people go into their own independence uh, in a negative way, like they sort of hone in on something that they're really into, or I don't know, they also move away from other people. And if we can be less fragmented, you know, uh, mm. and we can find intersections and crossroads together, I think yeah, incredible things will happen. And we also will have the chance to fuse and experiment, you know, and experience different things. I mean, yeah, it's quite funny. We get into something and then it becomes our identity, you know? (laughs) And then we uh, lord it over anyone else that that wants to step on our fragile selves. (laughs) you're too good. (laughs) Honest, it's pretty scary though.
0: It actually is though, because I think a lot of us, like... Well, I've been telling um, Kelsey a lot. Everyone's lost. And like, even Mm. our scientists are lost. They're finding answers. They're jumping into the deep to find answers. And they speak the language of science, which is a different language to articulate and find out what is the meaning of life and what is the purpose of life. So for me, I'm like, if everyone is lost, should we not turn to each other for support?
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: And that's a massive generalization. And like, I feel like if you know what I'm on about, you know. But if you don't know what I'm on about, just just don't be a dick like be kind because everyone's lost like everyone's literally finding answers trying to figure out how it goes and yeah there's many many roads to the top of the mountain but I feel like with you and dancing it's almost like a miniature community or like you know and like your baby is the final the final performance but that's not the end because it's like there's uffing all the way to the final mm. performance. And then even after the performance, man, mm. all the like ups and downs, someone's ankles hurt. Someone's like, someone <laughs> missed the move, you know, so, like all of those beauty now. Like, and it's yeah. like, I remember when I watched, so I'm doing a little sidetrack, but I remember when I watched, um, the Royal family and that girl fell. Mm. And I think everyone remember when that girl fell and, yeah. <laughs> and literally like, I think everyone gave her so much hate, but they still won. And in my head, I'm like, mm.
1: <laughs> "Do you think it's because of expectation on, yeah. I know, particularly royal family?
2: It's a big, uh, it's a big part of dance, and this is, this is something that um, a lot of us are trying to explore in New Zealand dance and, and across the world. But it's that um, you know, everyone has their own lanes, mm. and so no one should cast any judgment around." you know, whether someone wants to just be in a competitive lane or a commercial lane where they may be um, headed to more uh, commercial dance for media or whether they're just down with going out and improvising and freestyling and just connecting with their buddies. Like, there's so much streams, um, but which we are creating a lot more crossroads between the different streams, and we're seeing, say, some of these people who might have just – only known commercial or studio dancing Mm. come into maybe some freestyle or some battles or just having fun and and being a bit more lighthearted and they're really enjoying it. And then vice versa, people that might be freestyling are now maybe doing an ad and are really enjoying that. Okay, I need to learn a script. And so, yeah, it's just making sure people get a good experience, a double side of the coin experience for Mm. dance because all these dance forms have usually come from a different country. With a different style of music and a different sort of cultural discourse, and most of that gets left out when you just learn it in the studio. So unless your teacher's wise enough to take you on an experience, yeah. you're just learning a lot of pattern steps, and you're probably gearing up, like you said, Kelsey, for a competition, mm. which is which is great, but it's just one part of a big story. Yeah. Yeah,
1: for
0: sure. Mm. Wow. And wait, do you reckon they teach like so like dance as a discipline in university, and like how that that inter- like interconnects with like societal issues do you reckon that's a discipline that needs to be alive or already is alive
2: yeah i mean there's a lot of room for exploration and discovery around um arts as therapy arts as a lens for Mm. other sectors and disciplines um and arts conveniently gets left off the map and with lots of um like for example um You know, in school, you know, often talk about, okay, we need to push these curriculum areas. But, you know, the arts is usually sometimes later in the back. uh, It's the last kid on the block that gets picked for the, you know, the basketball team sometimes. So, yeah, I just think, and and I know many other people in Hamilton and and around New Zealand think that arts should be in a more of a central space because I think the research shows in school, for example, if you have good experiences with arts, it opens up your mind to do better in maths, English, and other core curriculum areas. Mm. But when you uh, have the sort of absence of creativity, you know, your other core curriculum areas go down, you, you're you not as uh, successful in them, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Plus music, I mean, is Harvard's done studies on music and, and talking about how powerful it is, you know, it writes memories, ingrains memories mm. into your um brain or whatever, nine times faster than the next thing that... Does like that's why you know you could be 90 and still reciting your nursery rhymes or whatever, even though you've forgotten your uh your husband's name. <laughs> I mean, oh, the priorities, awesome. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bow, bow, black sheep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the oranges of that
2: as well. <laughs> yeah, it's quite quite interesting. All right, all right,
0: all right. And then wait, so cuz to me like the way that i see arts is it's, it's like when we talk about queer people having to come out mm. i feel like arts is arts is like the stepping stone for 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 people who are not queer to mm. go and find out who they are as individuals and like and uh, dive yeah. into identity and it's like to me i'm like don't use art like that like don't use art and abuse art and exploit art when you can do the hard work by yourself cuz every queer person does it
2: Mm, that's quite interesting with or
0: without with or without art every queer person has to go through that 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 journey of self-discovery to find who self is and i'm not saying that only queer people do it like but i'm just saying that everyone leans on art to find self in terms of identity and in my Mm. head i'm like that's not what art's meant for like Mm. the art's not your vehicle to access identity from an institutionalized perspective like yeah, Arts there to like you know repre- represent society and all its flaws and, and glory in a different lens or a different communication mm. channel from my perspective.
2: It's an interesting perspective. I, I like I like hearing different people's opinions on mm. arts because arts is so subjective and so wide open and there's so many ways to experience arts. And like from what I've found is that I probably express myself in a narrow way. And I didn't know I was capable of dancing, you know, uh, when I was in Form 2, which about 12 years old or 11 years old, sorry. Um, our, our dance teacher at, at middle school took us through a dance module. You know, we'd done, like, line dancing. Ooh, Thank come on, love that. You know, I think we'd done square dancing. And then she um, she took us through hip-hop dancing. I didn't know what that was. And, you know, we just done some very basic steps. But actually was right, you know, like... When it comes to all that sort of out there stuff, um, I was never good at anything. I couldn't sing or anything. Mm. You know, I would go for uh, the play, you know, audition, but I'd get roasted. Yeah, I'd, I'd try, become a tree. I tried it too. I tried oh. it.
0: I was an animal. I have <laughs> you been.
2: know. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but I mean, w- what I'm getting into is, is when I thought, oh, I can do this. Um, And then when I got into dancing later on, I felt, wow, this is the most meaningful way for me to express myself before i met the arts i actually had this limited way to express myself mm-hmm. yeah I sure i could do a little bit of creative writing here and there or maybe mm. one or two other things but it really became an outlet for me to let loose and to be introspective and see myself in a different way and then you know just hearing certain songs would you know make me feel a different type of way and then my movement would come out and i'd learn more about myself and so for me the arts was this just an exploration of myself yeah I didn't see it as, like, maybe an external force, um, but it's just, yeah. just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So for me, it just, what I'm getting to say is, sorry, is, like, you know, I was able to explore myself better through the aid mm-hmm. of arts, mm. but, you know, I wouldn't know any better at that time, I think. Yeah, I don't know if that's a helpful answer. No, but nah, that that, that makes yeah. sense. That, there's
0: a bridge between what you said and what I said, for yeah. sure. So
2: I think a lot of people find their, you know, Possibly their their identity is fueled by dabbling in arts because mm. arts is so liberal and it gets you to think different ways. And then all of a sudden you think, oh, I'm this way. You know, no one told me that before. Or I, I didn't know. You yeah, but but it might be it might have been like a, a reaffirmation mm-hmm. you got from attending an event or I don't know. I'm not sure, but you know what I'm saying. Ah, it's do. an interesting idea.
1: What were you saying? I totally identify with what you said, Dujon, and totally disagree with what you said, Joseph. Go hard! That's what we're here to do. (laughs) Because, like, for myself, through, like, that 14 to 18 period, I really, really, heavily invested myself into my art at school Mm. because that was something that I could express myself through without having to talk to anybody about it. And, Mm. like, I could talk about – well, I could visually – represent this heavy shit that was going on in my life without actually having to verbalise it at all. Mm, mm. And that was a way that I could just, like, deal with my shit. Yeah. And it was a way that I could then i I'd identify myself with, like, oh, okay, like, that is happening to me in my world and I'm subjected to that, but that is not who I am. Mm. And, like, art gave me a way to, like, express it, get it out so I could move on with my life. Mm. And then even past that, like, when I dealt with all that crap, um, past that inter-tertiary study, which is the academia world of arts, because I studied photography, Mm. I was able to further explore myself and my community through photography. So I kind of identify with, like, being – I would never even call myself an artist because I think it's a bit pretentious. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) – People label me as an artist or label me as a photographer, and I'm just like I'm just using my craft to explore myself and my identity and give those people a platform. Like mm-hmm. I would call this a creative outlet too, like 100%. podcasting mm. and offering platforms for people to come through and talk about whatever they, whatever they want to talk about, mm. you know. That's so I, cool. yeah,
2: it's good to hear. Yeah, different perspectives on the arts and yeah how we all perceive the arts. And I I know firsthand in our dance crew that. We've often had people that actually hadn't stuck with us for long, but mm. the experiences were good and they maybe just learned some skills that they could transfer to whatever the next stage mm. in life was, yeah. you know. You know, you might not have been that competitive dancer or you might not have even attended any battles with us or you might have only come with us for a few months, but hopefully you had a few laughs, you know, mm. learn a little bit more about yourself and got better fashion. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> Don't, dress for your it's body okay don't dress for the trend i
0: swear yeah <laughs> the worst part <laughs> the worst part for me no so i guess to me the only reason why i don't want people to use art as an excuse to identify like to find identity because mm. i feel like that's literally been used and abused mm. where we're like using art but do you to, think
1: it is because it works
0: or well what okay let's let's throw this um, on the different end then what about all the people who can't afford art Mm. What yeah. about all the people who can't afford to go to school and can't afford photography? You know, and what about people mm. who can't afford um, to go to dance classes or of all of those yeah. things? They're like and, and or can't afford art in general. So oh, there is yeah, different, there's different identities of yeah. art. But I feel like finding out self is like a massive wide journey as well. Kind of like what you're saying, yes. and we shouldn't use and abuse art. As the only vehicle, there's so many other various ways to, to now, tackle it. See, I, commis- I think
2: that what you and Kelsey are saying, uh, you know, when you're talking about the commercialization of dance, mm. you know, that's that's what yeah. you're talking about—the yeah. commercialization of art forms in general, because it's, yeah, you know, it's uh can be sometimes associated with a, with a higher class mm. or higher way of thinking, mm. or it's esoteric, or you know, more
1: successful in that space. If you have a well, degree. there's yeah.
2: only a few
0: colored people who are actually embraced for their self and their entirety you know Mm. and it's like oh okay no that's not trained that's not classical that's not Mm -hmm. and i'm like in my head i'm like (laughs) wait Mm. you didn't you didn't create art (laughs) you don't know the full process of having to figure out what art is outside of your institutes outside of your your like conditionings Mm. and then you're telling us that we are not art yeah yeah Mm. that's the part i hate the most yeah
2: that, that yeah. happens a lot, you know. Oh man, there's mm. so
0: many like so, so many artists out there that were are asleep on mm. because they don't have the amplification yeah. or they don't have the team or they don't have all of these things. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's the part. So I'm not talking
2: about art as like, there's, I think there's yeah. a specific niche that I'm talking about. I think you're talking about the social constructs that um, contain some of these arts fields too. Mm. Like if you step into, um, I don't know, ballet there is a particular Whoa. way that you should be mm. or act or dress or behave you know you need a size. particular type of <laughs> size or, yeah you know i mean that's probably a more extreme form of dance mm. whereas some dancers are a bit more you know mm. largely accepting of of different kinds of people but you know every dance or every music style every um arts expression has a different social construct mm. and some of them are so bad you know mm. they 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 just promote things that are not healthy for a community um so I, I think i know what you're saying mm. there because it's kind of like like the only another way that i describe
0: this is michael jordan like no one knew that he was such a focused person but also another word for focus was dick like everyone didn't like some people didn't actually like him as mm. an athlete or as a thing. and i'm like okay you choose like you know ballerina focus or you know not mm. a ballerina and you mm. choose a different dance style yeah. But like, I think we're not talking about the inequities that exist outside of art, because, like, for art's sake, it has to be a certain way, you know. And I feel like yep. that's where we go. We we can we can bring indigenous art. We can get bring indigenous mm. forms of art. Yeah, and that's still like almost like worse. It's it's out there. We've been here. We've been doing the hard work. We just haven't been got given the same amplification and recognition. Yes.
2: Yeah. You did right. I think you know art's can easily be hijacked and gentrified um you know i would say that hip-hop dance is a good example of that um that you know it's become institutionalized really fast it has mm-hmm. a lot of studios around the country and there's almost no way if you don't have the cash to sign up unless you've got a, a manager or, or someone in the studio that's you can give a scholarship you're going to be paying 100 dollars minimum for a term you know, and you've got to p- also pay probably your fashion or getting to competitions and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I understand what you're saying completely, especially coming to a dance form that money was not an issue. We didn't dance in the studio, we danced on mm. the grass or outside our dairy. You know, all we needed was some batteries for some music, um, a piece of carpet or lino that we dragged down for several years. You know, yeah. we danced on concrete. You know, I mean, our dance form, I really love, love it because it just set me up to appreciate yeah the little things i think because mm. yeah some of those dance forms now you're yeah, not accessible i mean that's what this podcast is all about accessibility <laughs> do you
1: think though that they're not accessible because what society is telling us is successful in those spaces is that competition or that blah 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 or you know like going to classes if you're not yeah. going to classes are you even dancing
2: definitely like, are you an artist what? Like? yeah 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 well well for example Both my wife and I dance, and um, she's danced for a long time, I've danced for a long time. And so our daughter's six years years old, and everyone would assume that we've got her in dance classes, but we don't. I mean, we dance a lot at home, and we're around a lot of uh, cultural things, people, music, dance. Um, But the reason, personally, why I haven't put her in a dance class is because, yeah, everything is geared towards competition. I wanted to be in a class where she can let loose have fun and sort of maybe a a loosely facilitated class where people Mm. guide people, uh, guide the students to explore themselves, to get in tune with the music and maybe teach a few moves, but not the syllabus that is so rigid that actually strips away the culture and the politics of the dance and where it's come from and teaches this whitewashed or basic or Mm -hmm. superficial version of the dance. And I think that's... In New Zealand, where we have gone wrong and mm. sometimes go wrong a little bit. We just yeah. place emphasis on maybe wrong parts of the dance. And then people mm. go through the dance journey, maybe for a couple of years. They go out the other side and they think, oh, well, you know, I've done my dance scene. That was right. I probably will never go back there. But they've only actually ever experienced, you know, a portion of their dance. So if you would ask them, hey, have you ever experienced A, B and C? Oh, no, we only done X, Y, Z, you know. Mm. I wonder what it would be like if they had explored themselves in a different way or, you know, danced to some different music. Mm-hmm. They went out and, and just jammed with some friends or something. Mm. It's quite interesting.
0: I love the organic way that, um, that like, your dance career, um like, you know,
2: came to fruition. Like, that's,
0: I guess to me, that's it's always that extra motivation when you know that you're there for yourself as well as other people are there for themselves yeah. to get better you know and i feel like that's the point where like did was there ever a time where you were like you ever were like nah i don't want to dance anymore
2: oh no never where i intentionally didn't want to dance i mean i'm probably probably the least active now that i've been in 20 years but mm. and i'm okay with that uh, but i would say i've been super active up until maybe two years ago but I, i'll still throw down and for mm. most people, yeah. So. I
1: want to say that
2: <laughs> you're yeah, the same, but yeah. The, I mean, the reason the way our dance crew, the one I'm in now, the local one that's called the Unites, um, started was quite funny though. Like when Shara and I got married in 2010, we moved over to Zimbabwe, and I was sort of holding down the local practice spot. That's so anyone can come and go in our jams, we mm. call it a jam, mm. which is unusual. Most dance styles do not have jams, but we have a jam, anyone can come, don't pay anything on door you just come in and you learn from us informally. And we're also practicing, and we've got music on loud, and we're just having fun. So when I left, I sort of thought, oh, I don't know what's going to happen to the dance scene, you know, our little dance scene. But um, my little brother and In Harm's, who I used to work with, at the time I came back, there was a dance crew. Whoa, you know, it just took me to get out of the way. But what was cool <laughs> about the dance crew is that it just had completely different people and ethnicities mm. in it. So I mean, nowadays we've got someone from Congo, someone from Mongolia, you know, we've got uh, Maori, Pacific, we've got. Chinese, we've got different types of people, but we're all bonded through dance and we're all wow, local people cool. that, you know, appreciate community. So it's quite interesting. Hard. I love it. <laughs> there's, there's levels to that, but um,
1: Same. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> where do I go about this?
0: <laughs> so, wait, when did you um, officially have the confidence to call yourself a dancer?
2: You. Oh, I, I can't remember exactly when I said, hey, I'm a, I'm a dancer. But I remember the time where I was in middle school trying to dance in a lunchtime hour in the hall and a teacher walked past and thought I was having a seizure because I wasn't quite yet at dancer level. (laughs) How did that make um, you feel? At the time, you know, I didn't think anything of it. But uh, when she walked away, I sort of uh, scratched my head and now I laugh about it. But uh, I was trying some move on the ground, like maybe like a windmill and failing miserably. So she thought I was just flapping around on the ground <laughs> incapable to lift myself up You know, get past my shoulder roll or whatever uh, But yeah, I th- I think quite early on We're lucky we had like X-Air And um, some events around Hamilton That mm-hmm. had like battles mm-hmm. So by us travelling and being around like better dancers We were able to reaffirm ourselves Like yeah, we're part of this scene You know, we're B-boys or B-girls Or whatever we call ourselves Yeah, mm-hmm. it's quite fun back then Life was simple
1: mm-hmm. Yeah <laughs> Going back to like when you were 12 and you just moved, like you just got into this scene, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: what did, like, what was the support around you that you're like, oh Mm. yeah, I want to be involved here?
2: Yeah, I think from the jump was, I mean, my parents were awesome for all our siblings in terms of encouraging um, expression. So just growing up, I mean, having a Jamaican dad, uh, we're listening to a lot of music, you know, reggae, ska, dub, deep music, you know, from. It's sort of Caribbean diaspora through the mm. Americas and, and British reggae as well. So that was nice. you growing up with music and just general old school music and mum liked music too, which is great. And then uh, when we got into dancing, all of our siblings at one point got into dancing, you know, it was never discouraged for starters, mm. you know. It was like, yeah, do your thing. And so after school, instead of, you know, playing whatever other kids do, we'd be dancing and we'd be dancing every weekend and we'd be dancing every, you know, it just took over our lives and it was never, um, hey, you should be doing this instead of that, it was just an act of sort of constant um, encouragement from our parents to get involved. And, I mean, we didn't have a lot of cash growing up, but I remember when I started to get serious, maybe about 16, 15 or 16, and I had to get to Wellington to train with my crew for a couple of days before we had a national competition. Um, I just remember my mom having a little bit of money from tax, you know, got the church taxes back, <laughs> that tithe money uh, back or something. And, um, and she just, yeah, yeah, you you know, do your thing. Yeah, which was not an wow. easy feat at that point because mm. we didn't have, you know, a, a, a lot of food in the cupboards at some some point. So for her to back me and, and mm. give me money to go better myself and dance, you know, yeah, I just take my head off to my parents for that. But yeah, that's, so that's my initial support, you know, having my family there. But the the, the friends that you gain through through dance, yeah, they, they were definitely the next biggest driving factor for staying involved. So I basically... Uh, I danced with friends from my hood. So I grew up on Heath Street and then there were um, Jameson Crescent and Crowl yeah. Cres, which we call yeah. Criminal Cres. Yep. <laughs> and all our dance crew <laughs> were from those three streets Yeah, uh, right. in the corner of Brian Road. So there were about <laughs> 10 of us. And, you know, just your normal roaming around 12, 13, 14, 15-year-olds, you know, that you'd see in mm. any neighbourhood. Um, but we sort of caught that hip-hop fever for a time. So all of us danced at a time. Um, and then maybe after a year or two Like a few would drop off And then there were a core group of us Like four or five of us That would just went for a few years And then I ended up being the only one But that crew They were everything You know When you've got a crew of people When you're really mm-hmm. young You know it was, it was really cool At that age to, to. And all of the guys Were older than me Two, three years Older than mm-hmm. me Bigger than me Funnier than me So I, I really felt like that Little white boy They adopted into their whānau You know <laughs> it, was, yeah, it was really fun Do
1: you still see any of them now?
2: Yeah, every now and then But I yeah. mean I I Do keep throw it down And just be like
1: Look at me
2: Nah <laughs> I'll tell you what They were all way better than me And I think they didn't take me seriously At the start Because You know I wasn't really naturally talented And some of them Were, were able to pick up things so fast Yeah But they didn't stick at it I said, Man, if you stick, stick at it uh, You would have been The champ, you know mm-hmm. You would have been amazing But for whatever reason They, you know Went into different things Or had families Or got locked up Or other things <laughs> Other career choices. <laughs> yes, distinguished career choices.
0: All right, give us your top three songs that you're jamming to right now.
2: Oh, top three. So, so uh, I'm assuming you guys have like a go-to playlist. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I have one that's like 50 songs. That so, you know, it's not too big. It just rotates all the time. Mm. So I'll just wait. You don't have a go-to playlist? You yeah, just... I do. I do. Sorry, um, but I just I keep swapping songs out because. You know, you get sick of a song after two or three weeks and you've got to find something else. So my latest um, songs, um, I've been getting into Moonchild. Do you guys know Moonchild? No. So it's this little R&B uh, trio, I think, from LA area. Just beautiful, beautiful music. What's once? What, so Moonchild, what's the song? Um, well, their latest album is called... Oh, I, sh- I should know this, but I'll just check it real quick. Little Ghost. Mm-hmm. So I saw them on Tiny Disc on YouTube one day, you know, <gasps> love Tiny just, nice. you know
1: I've seen them just
2: really beautiful.
1: I love Tiny Discs.
2: So yeah. Good. Yeah. So I mean, I'm mean i feeling a bunch of their songs at the moment. And sorry, I'm just going to check the song out. It's called um, I Know I Know by Raquel Rodriguez and Amber Navran. Amber is like the lead singer of mm. Moonchild. Yeah. They're a multi-instrumentalist group So they'll be singing Next minute playing the sax Next minute jamming the flute Or whatever
1: Okay I gotta check it
2: out Yeah yeah But Sounds also so um, Sounds of Blackness uh, That's the old school 90s group Sort of gospel R&B And b and they got a track Called Optimistic Yeah Okay, okay. I'm gonna need to <laughs> jump into that
1: We'll link these down below too yeah.
2: yeah And one more The third one Do you guys know Herbs? Yeah mm. So they've got a song Called On My Mind And it's this really beautiful uh, Soul track From the yeah, early 80s mm. New Zealand soul track.
0: Okay, you mentioned that your um, your 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 dad's got an eclectic
2: range of music as well. What is reggae to you then? Uh, I'm not really political about reggae like my dad is. Like, Ooh, a, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I go. mean, given that he's you know he's born and raised in London area, uh, which and they had a strong reggae scene. Um, his perspective on reggae obviously is a bit different to like the New Zealand mm. barbecue reggae tunes. But to me personally, I like quite a lot of reggae. You know, like everything. I'm quite happy about it, mm. but I really love that New Zealand. We have our own Asian style, you know, uh, our own approach to reggae, and it's that is unique. Mm. I really love that. Yeah, what about you guys? Do you listen to reggae? Well, I I personally do
0: reggae's like so reggae for me is my, is my Christmas carols like oh, I yeah. don't and in my household we don't have Christmas carols we have UB40 Ooh. and and yes. Bob and, and all the uncles yeah like, <laughs> so we don't I don't know what Christmas is without reggae but at the same yeah. time um I think it was quite as like <laughs> ignorance disclaimer here but. It was so stink for me to really love and uplift UB40, and then to realize that Ali Campbell was not like Caribbean or
2: Jamaican <laughs> or like yeah.
0: somewhere from from yeah. that that space. But I was like, I think I I took like that little mental break. Like, should I like this music or not?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> but that's honestly, my that's yeah. my
0: like extent. Like, I love love New Zealand reggae. Um, obviously I've been to One Love and everything like that. But um, I feel like going to the festival and experiencing the song on my own is two different things. Like I love the festivals and I love the vibes, but I like listening to the song and seeing what the song Mm. evokes in me. Yeah. And that's like, that to me is the beautiful part of listening to music or or just watching art in general.
2: Hearing what that singer has to say and what their words are. And yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, everything in my life involves music. I mean, it might just be that I'm listening to music on the way to work or in the office with headphones or on the way back. But, yeah, I learn so much from music, and as I'm sure you guys do, and then it gets me thinking, and then I approach work or life differently, you know? Yeah. And, in fact, I was thinking about it today. Like I sort of view life as a Spotify playlist in the way, you know, you have lived experiences and you go through different communities and have different experiences, mm. but you sort of pick and choose, you know, what you want to put in your day-to-day Spotify playlist, you know, There might be an album that you really love. um, But in fact, there's only two real standout songs. So you just take those two songs and put them onto your everyday playlist, you know. Okay. uh, Unhurt the rest of the album See, this is how i know you're old
0: school because you still speak of albums as though like they're a piece of work like you know <laughs> yeah, like I feel, well obviously <laughs> but it's like i feel like these kids only know single tracks so i'm yeah, like yeah. i'm like you don't know what an album is like i went through the whole album to figure out which song
2: was on my favorite yeah and you had to give it a few a few listens through just to find something or something emerges that you didn't really hear before wow that song's uh, not the hit track but Oh, wait, what's that alien sound in the background? <laughs> <You're>
0: like, <laughs> <laughs> this is me all the time yeah, when I'm yeah. like, was that like, like a whale? Like, yeah. like well, what was that? Who's <laughs> on backing vocals? That sounds good. The f- yeah. The first time I um, listened to, oh, a pop- it's, a, it's a classic popping tr- popping track, but like, um, oh, I'm going to, zap- it starts with Z. Zap and Roger? Wait.
2: What is it, more Bounce to the Ounce? Or- <laughs> that- uh, it's the the most generic song. There's Oh uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about I Wanna Be Your Man. Oh really? Yeah. That
0: song literally uh. in my oh, hey. Like love the lyrics and everything like that, but at the same time the music in the background and what was popping off on the on the sides, I'm mm. like, what's happening? There's twinkling <laughs> twinkling
2: noises at the start <laughs>
0: But I could imagine you doing a whole routine, just freestyling to the background music and not following the lyrics at yeah, all. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That's, that's the tricky thing. I mean, our DJ as well, and, you know, we love music so much that sometimes you're playing, like, new school rap, not realising what the words are saying because you're all about the beat or, you know. <laughs> oh, that's not appropriate. Yeah, yeah, that happens often. Just plug and wop right there. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thing version.
0: All right, all right. So what is what does ideal support look like for you in communities or in community in general for, for mm. someone who's involved in various different community as an adult? What does support look like for community from your perspective?
2: I think whatever community you belong to, you need cheerleaders in your life, mm. people that will just champion you, you know, champion your cause, pull out the gold in you. I really think there's something about pulling out the gold and, and self-discovery, you know, actually going deep, mining, you know, your mind and your soul and finding yourself. And if mm. you've got people around you that are on a similar journey, you know, able to go hand-in-hand hand with you, that's really important. I mean, regardless of what community you belong to, mm. that's, that's got to be a winner, having some champions around your life. I mean, aside from that, actually, I don't know. I reckon everything's probably a byproduct of that initial interpersonal relationship, you know. As you yeah. find yourself, then things start to click and you find a way forward. But I'm just real sceptical about how uh, people treat like tanga relationship building, you know. In a corporate setting, often we'll have a hui or a conference and there'll be some time set aside for getting to know each other, which is always fun and noble. But to me, I view tanga as like this linear process that just mm-hmm. goes keeps going. It's not something you do for... Um, a small amount of time and then sort of shut off your relationship building <laughs> it's something that you're able to journey you know with people once you get to know people and the, you know their far and what they're into and their skills automatically you end up doing asset mapping and the stock take of how cool they are and you know finding out about all these bits and pieces that what's funny in the corporate world you've got you know let's do an asset map or let's do a um who's got skills in the room but you'd already know that stuff if you were good at you know just bonding with people you know but we tried to I think if you were genuine are, about it as well yeah if genuine yeah. about
0: it we wouldn't need to do this that's
2: yeah, so what i'm saying everything's a synthetic version of true community or well, corporate yeah i feel bars, oh, bars. just yeah. like blew my mind <laughs> yeah you know what i'm saying that way you know people yeah. offer um trainings for a couple grand to do something that you already knew it's like dude really Gonna spend uh, three thousand uh, dollars when um you know my culture already tells me how you know how to do this but no one's ever told me that it's a uh, you know, marketable or <laughs> a thing it's just something that i do and i haven't named or it's intangible or you know we don't talk about because we just take it for granted or something but well, yes, well, at the same
0: time because we're just about it like we don't yeah. need to talk about it if we're about it you know mm. like it's, and i feel like that's like that's a nuance of time i think and i think if if, if it if it if t- we have to talk about it it's a problem kind of like ethics so mm. ethics only exists because unethical behavior happens Ooh, Ooh. yes that's what, like i really don't wow. mess with ethics like ethics only exists purely because unethical behavior happens mm. and i'm like without unethical behavior we would not have the consideration of ethics in our lives
2: mm. yeah that's quite interesting isn't it oh, Hoha people uh Running it for everyone else (laughs) (laughs) but
0: then again it's like sometimes we're ignorant like i don't know when i'm being a hoha like mofo to somebody else so it's like i'm like how wait who's kidding who's looking for my blind spot because i don't know when i'm a
2: dick yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) yeah, that's a good point that's a good point yeah i I don't really hear that sort of expression said very often many people are secure enough to let someone critique them and you know Mm. Yeah, I know. Society's and, weird sometimes. I and think.
1: doing it in a manner enhancing manner to not just mm. be like, you're being a dick. Yeah. But like, You're be being a, dick, a
2: floppy dick. But, yeah, but soon you're going to be an erectile. <laughs> you're going to be full we'll blown be able dick. And will
0: to see you in all your glory. Yeah. Oh Hashtag all God. caps. Yeah.
2: Oh, and you're wearing tight shorts. <laughs> <laughs> that ego is a tight shorts. <laughs> <laughs>
0: all
2: yeah. right. Yeah. Segueing to the far <laughs>
0: What belongs in the FAQ from your perspective? So you've obviously lived quite a, like, get again, I'm leaning on the word for today, eclectic lifestyle, and your travels have, like, you know, exposed to your different experiences. Mm. But what belongs in the FAQ in terms of um, topics that we're not talking about and they need their limelight? So what belongs in the FAQ that you need to bring up?
2: Mm. You know, what I would really love to see is conversations with the hidden ordinary people you know not not just uh you know superstars and champions but finding those really normal shy or interesting introverted people that get missed out in consultation get missed out in community get missed out in the classroom and actually spending enough time and energy to get them comfortable enough to speak about things you know and it doesn't have to be flashy gems and, you know, stunning revelations. It can just be just your general snapshots from an ordinary person that lives in H-Town. Or a not ordinary person. Maybe they're just not ordinary at all. And then, Yeah. But I, I would love to see that more in general.
0: I love that. Mm. Only because there's so many silent killers out here. Yes. There's these silent killers, like, so the only reason why I love that so deeply is because in high school, and I'm just going to plug in, like, one of my low-key highlights of high school was this one like skinny park hair dude that would just always be so excited to say hello to me in the morning <laughs> well wow, that's cool and, no but not because he was like like building my ego or anything like that he literally when i when i took the time to actually get to know him mm. so funny mm. so smart and intelligent yeah. and witty so in a way, he, he kind of became like low-key plug-in for like sassy comments because I'm mm. like, oh, what do you think about this? And they're like, oh, you should you should t- definitely add the bitch in the end. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, wait, let me say it again. And then when I said it with the bitch in the end, boom, like I was like, <laughs> okay. um, So that's why I'm like, I feel the like enabler. there's actually, yeah, but there's actually mm. a lot of peculiar, beautiful, yes. like hidden gems out here that mm. actually, yeah. Yeah. I totally mess with that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I just think that's a big thing everywhere, you know. I've just been thinking about it a lot because, for example, I mean, I work at council, so there's a big effort in consulting the community. But often if you do a status quo consultation, for example, you put it up on Facebook, hey, um, community where want to ask you about a question about mm. this. In general, you attract certain demographics, certain ages, yeah, certain sure. ethnicities, you know, uh, and then if that's enough, uh, then you have just perpetuated that sort of iniquity around not consulting all these marginalised mi- minority groups. Mm. So, yeah, well, I mean, it's an ongoing conversation in our circles and with other community practitioners about how do you meaningfully engage people without over-consulting or being tokenistic or inauthentic or whatever um, in these different areas with different people? Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, you just end up going to the same uh, mm. same people over and over
0: that's literally been one of my questions as well on who is is what about the people who are not in the room yeah that's that's a big statement yeah
1: Mm.
0: because i feel like well i'm gonna lean on my mom my mom's man she she used to roast me like (laughs) hundy has, but she's like she's like ma joe her empty drums make more noises
2: (laughs) that's a good saying (laughs) and
0: i'm like well Disclaim, I was like banging on the pots because she didn't buy me a, dumb, a drum um, <laughs> for Ooh. Christmas. So I decided to go on with the pots and everything. And she's like, but ever since then, I, f- I feel like she's that, that stuck with me. And it's for so long empty mm. drums make more noises. And I feel like if we're not doing thorough consultation, we're literally amplifying the drums mm. out here,
2: which is not a diss to
0: anyone. It's just mm. an analogy.
2: Yeah, I love that. I think you you bang on the money right there. Mm. Yeah, it's don't oh no, it's, it's it's strange, you know how we gather information and and analyze data and and create decisions for other people without often talking to them or, you know, I I think about collaboration and um, so true, You know, I think collaboration is probably the single most overused buzzword in the people sector um, people sectors, you know, in that industry. Collaboration, although it might happen, it usually only happens in its most basic formal forms, you know. And most times, collaboration or the other c-word co-design is, it's just people coming together, you know, or doing some parallel play or um, meeting about something. But often, not actually exploring the sort of robust collaboration or different methods or different approaches or getting to a point where you trust each other well enough to fuse and experiment or to share. Uh, and implement tools from our own disciplines or workplaces or whatever, we Mm. just have such a, I feel, a basic go at collaboration many times. So, yeah, we've got a long ways to go. That's for sure.
0: Oh, my God. It sounds like you're operating in deep waters always. I I love it because I feel like, yeah, yeah, this this is a must. Especially for someone like you in in the position that you have. I'm like, it's a must. And Mm. please tell us how we can um, help out in any way, shape or form. But if people want to connect with you, how can they... What are your socials?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I'm on Instagram and Facebook under my real name, wow. no pseudonyms <laughs> or aliases. Yeah, mm. I got old and then I thought, man, I don't really want to call myself what my um, dance name was anymore. So you can find me as Dujon Cullingford. Mm. Uh, yeah, so on Facebook, Instagram, um, SoundCloud. If you want to listen to some old music, like from the seventies. Yeah, in my other life, I, I archive New Zealand music from the 70s. So do a bit of funk, so and disco, um, yeah, collection stuff. Is that how
0: you find your beats? Oh, that's that's one way. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I'm like, well, how, how do you find your beats?
2: Oh Well, I started DJing uh, about 10 years ago. Mm. So through that mm. whole process, man, I, I've just learned so much. So, I mean, long story short, religious into, you know, only very certain styles of music. Got married to my uh, amazing wife, and then we moved to Zimbabwe. And, and you know, I was r- really um religious about listening to stuff on the radio, like, couldn't stand dance music of any kinds because I just sort of was like secular, yeah, or not, nah, and just like uncultured, you know, like this just mm. white producer music. Uh, mm. This was just my thing mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, go go to Zimbabwe where the main style of music being pumped everywhere is like house music. But like South African or Zimbabwean, mainly South African house, you know. So you're you're catching public transport, you know, in the combi in the van, and that's just up full blast with 15 people in in the van, you know. So everywhere you go, there's music, people are happy, you know, there's dancing, you go to a party, everyone's boogieing down. People are not sitting down on a chair drinking, you know, beers, everyone's up, jiving. So... Yeah, through that experience and that whole blowing open of my life through hanging out with um, my wife and her family and her people, when I got into DJing um, around that same time, I got into DJing through a couple of dreams, actually. I had a few dreams when we got married, yeah. It was funny, you know, you get married and you get given gifts. Um, so, you know, we had a little bit of money uh, and I had like three dreams in a row that I was DJing. I never used to DJ at that point, but I had always collected music like digitally and in the dreams, I knew exactly what it, the platter I was DJing on. You know, it was this sort of plastic one um, block mm. thing. And then we got married in real life, saw that same thing on Trade Me, and I brought it. It was like 300 bucks. It was really like introductory DJ stuff. Yeah, so that's how I got into DJing. It was sort of this prompt oh, wow. that came through a dream. And then when we moved to Africa, I took it with me. I took that little oh. block. It was 7 kg, so it's quite a bit when you're traveling yeah, internationally. Traveling, yeah. But, it was dope Got to DJ in villages You know We had full on parties With uh, You know In Zimbabwe And in Mozambique And um, Got to throw down In some interesting places Did your family places.
0: love you for that? Because I feel like I would have definitely been like Look at this Pakeha boy With the beats
2: <laughs> Yeah It was a little bit funny Because I was On one hand uh, Basic You know Just starting out DJ You know But on the other hand I was like You know Wanting to learn as much as I could So I think when I first started I was probably more annoying Than good <laughs> but you know nah. after a few months you know you start to learn this music works good for these type of people or you'll you know you learn what music matches what environment and all that sort of thing so, oh snap so yeah.
0: do you actually like take that seriously as well like in terms of yeah. like, s- guiding the mood and navigating the mood yeah
2: yeah that's a big yeah i think creating soundscapes i think music memories and all that is just one big cool experience so, I mean, I went through a big phase where I DJed a lot of weddings, um, you know, proper, like corporate functions and all that sort of stuff. So, it's, all of it is a big learning curve because you get given maybe a baseline expectation. Hey, we, we want to hear some of this music. Mm. Or, hey, we don't know what we want, just play whatever. But you're constantly mm. looking around the room at people, how they act, and you, you want to guide people to have a really cool experience. And you want it to be inclusive. Um, but, yeah, it's quite a difficult job. I don't do it as much at the moment, but, it's yeah it's it's awesome
0: all right last question yes given the chance to score a movie would you
2: score yes yeah yeah i would to the max well actually i wouldn't score it but i'd curate the soundtrack mm. but i started thinking about this seriously when um thor ragnarok came out you know Taika yeah, um yeah. had directed it i'll oh, just seriously it isn't just in my brain but you know, oh, serious. 100% serious. The, the main track they use, which gets used a lot, it was uh, Led Zeppelin's track, Immigrant Song. It goes, doo, 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 and it was like the theme song for the movie because mm. it's an amping 70s, you know, song that makes you want to punch somebody. Uh, <laughs> but I was thinking, man, there was actually a New Zealand band called Ragnarok um, in the 70s who created like spacey rock music just like that. I thought, wouldn't it be so cool to have a New Zealand soundtrack for an international movie, you know? A lot of the, the tracks we we collect on records mm. are still not known. You know they never got their kudos back in the day, but their incredible music. Mm. You know some of it would match the same American and British stuff of that same era, but it wasn't picked up by an international yeah. label, let alone a local label. You know they might have been released in a lot of three hundred records, <laughs> and that's it. Their band died, and yeah. Anyway, yeah, they I, they still, shall, Yeah, I would I would <laughs> love to curate something like that, or even just a soundscape for a local event. You know, really uh, push people into a different place. Yeah.
0: Okay, I'm loving that because well, I've been thinking about sensory events. Oh, that's it. And like in my head, I'm like, sensory events have to do with the taste, smell, everything like that. And mm. I'm like, mm, sound.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and we've got cool people around here like Jeremy mm. Mayo, you know, CEO mm-hmm. of Creative Waikato. Done. He's got a you know, b- bunch of research and physical work around and what he does with multi-sensory stuff. And yes, I'm interested. There's a lot of DJs and musicians and people that just love music around here that could do something interesting.
0: I'm
2: not mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, join us in <laughs> the do do, 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 do,
0: do do fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. We and we'll check your anus later. Oh,
1: Whoa.
2: Thanks. Fuck uh, you.
1: Great way to end that.
0: Man, why did you have All to right. freak out? It's a word. I'm trying to normalise. my vocabulary. I'm trying to normalise vocab family. Have a great Gluteus Maximus, okay? Mm. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> Maximise your, your Gluteus
2: Maximus. <laughs>